0: episode 10 of Pastoring in a Pandemic. I'm your host, Nathan Longfield. Today is Tuesday, May 5th, and we'll hear from Reverend Andrew Phillips, pastor of Hopkins and South Monterey United Methodist Churches, to discuss what he has been doing to pastor during COVID. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Pastor in Pandemic. It's Pastor the Letter N, Pandemic. You can follow me at Nathan Longfield. You can now get the podcast on our website, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and others. Please remember to download, rate, and review the podcast. We will be back after a quick break to hear from Andrew about how he is pastoring in a pandemic. We're now joined by Reverend Andrew Phillips, pastor of Hopkins and South Monterey United Methodist Churches in Mission. Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks. So to start, can you just give us a little more about your context, um, what it looks like serving these two congregations, how long you've been there, what other staff, if there is some exists, and what COVID's looked like out there?
1: Yes. Well, the congregations of Hopkins and South Monterey are in Allegan County, Uh, that's about half an hour south of Grand Rapids and about 40 minutes north of Kalamazoo on the uh, 131 corridor, if folks are familiar with that. The churches have been in Methodist-speak yoked uh, for um, at least 60 years, and so they are kind of used to sharing a pastor. Uh, They share some families, too. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are a couple who have uh, members who go to both and they're only a uh, little under three miles apart. And so I'm grateful, unlike some of my colleagues in the Upper Peninsula who pastor multiple churches, I have one up there who actually has two churches in two different time zones. Oh, wow. And so he manages to do like a 11 and 11.15 11. service every Sunday because of driving across the time change. So I don't feel so bad about my situation <laughs> considering it's all in the same time zone. But they are, I've been there for uh, about coming up on two years. And it's in terms of uh, kind of compensated staff, it's myself and a, a church administrator who's part-time. And then we have a custodian who uh, cleans and takes care of the larger of the two churches. And in terms of COVID and what it looks like out there, i think like a lot of smaller and a lot of mainline congregations in general uh they're older uh and so when we first started thinking through kind of what our life together would look like in this era and i started counting up the people who are over 60 folks with pre-existing health conditions and we actually have a number of um Pregnant or nursing moms at the moment and when that list was put together there were not many people left Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that made it easier in that sense uh, to think about uh, suspending our in-person gatherings because The vast majority of our congregations were were going to be in that high-risk category
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and what I one thing I tried to Instill in people as we had these conversations comes from the very beginning of the Methodist movement. Uh, John and Charles Wesley um, started this reform movement within the Church of England and they had um, these kind of lay societies for spiritual formation. And the rule of life for those lay Methodist societies um, was sometimes summarized with three rules. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first of those is to do no harm. And to me, that was of the most helpful ways of thinking through some of the initial decisions around coronavirus was we were being asked to do no harm to our neighbors Mm -hmm. uh, by staying home and not gathering. And I think that was something that the people of Hopkins and South Monterey kind of understood that that's part of our rule of life as a people called Methodist. And it was something that was easy to kind of think theologically about a stay at home order. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to cast it as much as possible as this is a opportunity for us to do no harm.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, So what is um, worship or um, community life looked like uh, during this? So worship
1: has looked significantly different in a lot of ways. When we first kind of got to this, point of having to think about what worship looked like in this uh, era of uh, social distancing that we may do no harm. I was kind of of two minds. The, The first is one where technology would take a center stage. Tech is part of my life, I'm pretty proficient with it. And I have the skills to be able to help a congregation do that pretty well. I was also, I think, somewhat hesitant uh, because I did not want church to become less participatory than we are called to make it. Uh, And in in this respect, I uh, respect very much the work of Chris Smith, uh, who's down in Indianapolis and his Inglewood review of books and some of the slow church work he has done. As we started to think about what this would look like, the two things I was trying to hold together were kind of worship as the gathering and the work of the people of God, and as robust a kind of participatory worship as we can have, and also realizing that that was going to have to be facilitated with some kind of technology. So holding those two things together What came to mind was trying to find a platform where kind of everyone in our church community could gather, kind of regardless of their technical comfort or their availability of internet access or anything like that. And those are challenges in an older community, a rural community. And so I tried to think about what that might look like. And where we landed ultimately was Zoom with some important kind of additional features turned on. So, if there's one piece of uh, uh, if there's one piece of soapbox I would like to get on today, it is if you pay Zoom enough money, you can, in fact, initiate a call from Zoom to a phone number. Where all someone has to do is answer the phone and press one, mm-hmm. and this was a game changer for us. That in the early the early couple of weeks, I spent a lot of time on the phone with you know prisoners who were older and kind of less tech comfortable, walking them through how to join a Zoom call on the phone, and lots of times, drawing on my kind of tech uh, background, I would you know, get them on the phone, check in with them, how things are doing, and then ask, can we practice this? And so I would give them the instructions. They had been mailed to them as well and say, all right, I'm going to hang up now. Give me a call. I'll be waiting on Zoom for you. And if you, we don't connect, I'll call you right back. And so a lot of it in the first couple of weeks was a lot of handholding to make sure that we could make this work. Then we had some sagas with uh, Zoom bombing, not our congregations personally, but other mm-hmm. congregations. And we dealt with Zoom passwords and their attempts to make it more secure, which I appreciate. But again, trying to hold this participation as one of our high values. And so what we discovered is that, again, if you're willing to pay for uh, some extra features, it can be as easy as answering the phone. Mm-hmm. And that's something anyone in my community can do. And thanks be to God, that has meant that we are actually seeing higher attendance in this time of social distancing than we saw in person. Mm-hmm. And some folks who are kind of typically unwillingly absent from church are some of our most faithful attenders because all they have to do is answer the phone ten minutes before service starts and press one. Mm-hmm. That, along with it's a little hard for me to imagine that I would be a pastor who sent more stuff in the mail. (laughs) Uh, But I think I've done my small share to keep the postal service solvent. (laughs) Um, We now send, you know, bulletins and announcements to everybody every week Mm -hmm. uh, because we discovered that even sending it in the mail to people who have internet access, they didn't read it. And so having it in hand and ready for Sunday morning is how we could give the most opportunities for full conscious and active participation. And I think it's really showed in the ways that people you know, volunteer to read scripture and um, check in with one another and take other roles in the
0: service. Mm-hmm. So is the whole service then Zoom, like songs, liturgy, sermon,
1: mm-hmm. It is. So one of the the pieces that was also important to us was to try and make it as interactive as possible. And for us, that meant live and also meant that doing things live, we have come to see, makes it the most likely that people will be able to hear it um, in a technical way. So videos and things, particularly for folks on the phone, Um, don't tend to come across as clearly. So we try to do as much of it live as possible. So the service, typically we kind of gather gather together, have some kind of opening words. I'll play a song off my computer, kind of sharing the screen. Um, Other folks will lead other parts of the worship service, uh, reading scripture, leading a children's time. I'll give a sermon. We'll kind of take a virtual offering Um, Another song played in the computer, I try whenever I can to pick uh, videos and resources that have the words displayed, so you can either read them on the screen or off your bulletin. Um, And then we have kind of virtual coffee hour, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a big hit and often goes on
0: 45, 50 minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. That's great. So, um, I'm curious outside of that, clearly you've been connecting with people to get zoom working for them, but outside mm-hmm. of that sort of thing, what does congregational care look like? How do you connect with your people when there's no physical touch point? There's no dropping by the house.
1: I think the the first thing that comes to mind is I'm very grateful for a culture at these congregations of care for one another. Mm-hmm something that is there long before I got there and will continue long after I'm gone. Um, One of the things that I quickly discovered when I got to this appointment is that there was a prayer group on Tuesday mornings, and there were a few of the senior saints who had been praying together for decades. And they invited me to come. They said they always invite pastors to come, but they sometimes didn't. And it wasn't long before I discovered that this was the most important hour of my week.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Not only because it gave me the opportunity to pray with and for my people, but the saints gathered at that table knew everybody and everything. And because we're in a village of 600 people, that includes everybody and everything in the village and in the kind of surrounding social network. And so that time became invaluable for checking in on people and hearing how other people were caring for their friends and neighbors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So one of the things that we prioritized was making sure that prayer group continued in this uh, social distancing era. So most of the time, by the time I get on Zoom on you know, the morning we have the prayer group, some of them have been, already been on there. <laughs> Uh, Want to make sure they're connected and ready to go. And I think having, in, in our case, I know some congregations have opted for kind of more formal ways of, um, you know, lay leaders in the congregation checking in on particular people. Um, in the congregation, the size of ours, it tends to be more organic. Mm-hmm. And that prayer group, has been invaluable in asking, oh, okay, have you heard anything about so-and-so? Ah, yes, I called them last week. Or, you know, we haven't heard from that person. Pastor, would you call them? Mm-hmm. Or Judy, would you, I know you're going to drive by their their house later. Um, would you do a ding-dong dash and make sure everybody's okay?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, gotcha. Nice. So I'm curious, <clears throat> I don't know what other mission outside the prayer group um, were going on in a regular rhythm, but Mm -hmm. what has that impact of the other sort of regular events or non-regular, but lost during this time?
1: The thing that most folks have commented to me that they miss the most is choir practice. Mm -hmm. And that again, for both it's kind of um, opportunity to, to gather and to kind of have good Christian fellowship. So that's something that people have commented they have missed. They've missed other parts of our music ministry too. Most of our musicians, like most of the congregation, fall in that high-risk category. And I think they are rightly concerned about leaving their homes even to come to the church building to... You know, record a hymn for Sunday. So we've mm-hmm. been not doing that mm-hmm. out of kind of respect for, for their health. I think one thing that has continued and we've been very grateful for the support we've gotten in our community is that churches, along with a few others in town, um, host a food, a food bank. Mm-hmm. And we have seen both the need for that increase and an outpouring of support to match it. Mm. So we actually have not needed to receive any food from the regional food bank the last six weeks mm. because donations in our community have been so high. Wow. Um, and about two weeks ago, we actually had a, a good problem for a food pantry, which is that we had too much food. Um, and were, you know, kind of trying to Sound the uh, you know, sound the message throughout the community. If you know someone who's looking for you know something to keep themselves and their family fed, please do not stop. Come now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that is something that has continued, and we've done our best to continue it with kind of all the social distancing and other health precautions. So it's curbside only. One of the other neat things has been like many things in uh, our congregation, the t- most typical and most faithful volunteers for the food pantry are in that high-risk older category. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that some of our younger folks who either have been um, kind of furloughed or laid off have taken that time and given it to God by mm-hmm. coming and working the food pantry. Uh, so the, the couple that comes to mind uh, most specifically most specifically, they're actually working a shift that their grandmother would normally work. Mm. Um, but so that she may stay home and keep herself safe, they're using their free time, since they're uh, on furlough at the moment, to help uh, stock the shelves and distribute food.
0: Mm. That's beautiful, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so are there... Other gatherings throughout the week other than choir, prayer group, that this has impacted? Um, Is that sort of the normal rhythm and things pop up as they do? Um, It sounds like the coffee hour fills a lot of that void of gathering as best we can right now. But, yeah. Uh, I'll say two things about that. Uh, The first
1: is that after a couple of weeks of this, the appetite for coffee hour grew. Mm -hmm. And so now we actually have one on Thursday morning that Mm -hmm. is just coffee hour. And I think the first week there was something like uh, 15, 20 people who came in at 10 o'clock on Thursday morning on Zoom just to chat. Mm-hmm. And I had a meeting to go to and I left, uh, left one of them as the Zoom host. I came back 45 minutes later and they were still going at it. Um, and I think that speaks a little bit to, um, and it might be one of the minor miracles of this, of this time And I think I take it for granted the ways in which technology really is a gift to Mm. us. And for many of these folks who did not grow up as you and I did, you know, digital natives, it really is something close to, you know, an act of God's power Mm. that we can all talk together. Uh, And I try not to let that pass me by Mm. is knowing that people find it, simply miraculous that you know there was even last uh, the last couple of weeks we've had adult children uh, some of our older members join us from the uk from florida
0: wow.
1: and you know those are people who typically come to worship once or twice a year mm-hmm. and some of them are now you know they've been three or four weeks in a row mm-hmm. um, which is a great great thing to have yeah. so that's the kind of supplemental coffee hour has helped I will say the other thing that we have missed is the congregations work with Meals on Wheels and the kind of senior services of Allegan County to host a feeding program. So when I first came, I was not familiar with this model. Meals on Wheels, to my mind, involved volunteers going to someone's house, dropping off a meal, checking in on them, the model in our little neck of the woods involves people coming to the church for a meal. Mm-hmm. And this happens Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And the way it's kind of evolved is that I think the meal is served at noon. Folks and these tend to be senior citizens usually show up about nine or nine thirty and drink coffee and, uh, Best each other at dominoes and you know, have some good time to talk together, do that for a couple hours, have lunch together. Some of them will stay and either receive food from the food pantry or help work the food pantry. Um, so that is something that has not been able to continue.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I think there is some felt need and some a little anxiety about kind of how those folks are doing. Um,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: without that even if we are able to make sure that they have the food they need that sense of community and a you know group of folks to eat with every week three times a week uh, that's been one of the things that's been most missed i think
0: yeah for sure um have you all experimented with anything um or have ideas about experimenting i guess i'm also curious within maybe this experiment Are the two congregations meeting together now over Zoom? Is it one gathering?
1: It is. So uh, typically when things were, uh, I hesitate to say normal, uh, I have some theological reflections about what is normal and what's not uh, or what we're going back to. But under, you know, in previous previous eras of time, I would do a 930 service, finish up with a few minutes of coffee fellowship, drive the five minutes down the road, and do another service at 11. The congregations during the summer typically meet together anyway. And so by the time we get back to some kind of in-person worship uh, later this summer, assuming we'll be able to, they will be meeting together anyway. Um, but given the fact that the technical challenges, and I think it just desire to be together, uh, they were quite happy with one service mm-hmm. um, where everyone participates. So that has been, I guess, some experimentation. Um, although, again, we do worship together during the summer and kind of at, do Good Friday and Christmas Eve and kind of those special services together. I think one of the other things we have experimented with a little has been the kind of offering of Christian formation mm-hmm. on Zoom. So actually tonight, I'll lead the first in the six-week Bible study series mm-hmm. um, that folks have been uh, kind of asking for some kind of offering in that in that area. And um, the pastor typically leads one during the summer anyway, and I'll be transitioning to a new congregation, so I wouldn't be able to do it later this summer. And I also have the facility to use Zoom well. uh, And so we'll, we'll give that a shot. I think one of the things that we will need to experiment with, and actually this is what part of what I was working on this morning before we talked, is what kind of hybrid worship may look like.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: If you're kind of used to thinking of hybrid worship as there's something going on physically in the sanctuary and we're live streaming that you can watch it on the social media platform. If you're choosing that would, I think present a challenge to us kind of technically Uh, the church does not have great internet access and doesn't have the equipment to do that at the moment. It also for us presents a theological challenge of we've now kind of created kind of first and second class worshipers in a sense, the people who are for reasons of of health or or concerns about their safety or lack thereof, folks who are kind of able to come in person and folks who can't. And I don't quite know yet how to kind of bridge that gap. Um, I've had all kinds of thoughts about, uh, you know, having... you know kind of a zoom meeting going on while we're in the sanctuary and one of the scripture readers doing it from home one of them doing it from the sanctuary uh kind of doing prayer requests and praises and in, in both simultaneously um, and while that would work uh it's a little daunting to think about how to do it yeah. uh, particularly when I'm attempting to both kind of faithfully lead worship and be the tech person. And so I think that's something that will require some experimentation for Mm -hmm. us is do we do kind of hybrid worship? Do we do a nine o'clock zoom and a 10 o'clock in person? Mm -hmm. Uh, do we kind of go to, uh, a small group kind of model where people might gather at the home of a neighbor and I kind of ride circuit in good Methodist fashion and offer a sermon from a driveway in like four different places. Mm. I don't know. Uh, So those are some, so for the moment, I think there hasn't been that much experimenting other than kind of doing church on zoom, which was new for everybody. And we're (laughs) looking to do quite a bit in the months ahead.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, I think I've heard hints of this in your other answers, but I'm curious what you learned about your congregation, um, or maybe have reinforced in this time something you already knew um, as they managed this in their way. It's a
1: good question. And it's a timely one, too. I made reference to the fact that I'm uh, being appointed to another congregation later this summer. So while this is going on, I'm also uh, trying to prepare uh, my successor, um, making sure that you know membership records are up to date and pastoral care information is accessible, keys labeled, all those good things. And I think one of the things that has been reinforced is that the congregations trust me. Mm-hmm. And that that has been largely the result of time spent listening and visiting and doing a lot of the things it's hard to do right now, spending time with them, dropping by the house, making sure I was available. And that that has enabled me to ask them to do a new thing,
0: Mm.
1: namely to gather online or on the phone and to have that be well-received. Mm-hmm. So that's reinforced, I think, the way I entered ministry in this place has, uh, has borne some fruit. I think the other pieces that come to mind are my churches eat well. It is one of the things that when I first got there, I asked them, you know, uh, where, where, does kind of where do our, our churches experience God's pleasure? Uh, mm-hmm. what do y'all do really, really well? And without missing a beat, they said eating. And the number of times when we've gathered and someone has joked that, okay, don't worry. You know, I sent out the drone with your, you know, donuts on it. You'll get them eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that has reinforced to them uh, how much that is part of their life and how much they miss it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the things that's been tricky and that I, I hope I have learned about my congregation is that during my, my two years with them, uh, we have moved uh, to, to weekly communion, mm-hmm. which is a big step for them and a gradual one and it's something that i've heard people mention that they miss mm-hmm. and that they miss particularly the experience of that shared meal of the communion of the gathered body
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so i think a hunger so i've, I've always known them to be hungry people uh, but i think i've known them especially for a people hungry for for fellowship mm-hmm. uh, and hungry for um, the grace we receive at god's table
0: mm-hmm. yeah so I'm, I'm curious too, uh, what it's been like for you. What has it been like to be a pastor, to care for yourself as you care for your congregation? Um, when everything's in the home office, it's the boundaries are a lot blurrier than when you're at yeah. church and at home. So what does that look like?
1: Yeah, it certainly is. Um, certainly a challenge. One thing that continues to be helpful to me are practices that I've had since I kind of began full-time ministry. So one of those is a Sabbath day. And so Friday, I do not check email and usually only check voicemail if I have suspicion someone is uh, sick or um, you know, coming close to the end of life. And that's continued. Mm-hmm. And folks have been pretty good at respecting that boundary. As uh, as funny as it might seem in this uh, this season, which we're all wearing our pajamas all the time, or only getting dressed from the you know from the waist up, what I wear does matter to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm someone who um, typically wears a, a clerical collar uh, when I'm kind of on duty, and that's both a a clue to me about the boundary. Uh, kind of my internal sense and to others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I get, if there's an occasion I'm going to have a meeting uh, or do some kind of pastoral ministry that I would normally, you know, uh, go pop in my collar, I do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, again, a little bit of a a marker that, oh, okay, I'm on right now. And, you know, when I'm done, I'll, you know, pop it off and stick in my back pocket like I would if I was, you know, driving home from work. Mm -hmm. That's been important. I think one of the other pieces is trying to almost think about this season as an invitation to focus on the things that only I can do. Um, and I guess I think about that less as me, Andrew, and kind of more me as the person living into the pastoral vocation in this community. And so I thought a lot about kind of my ordination vows and about the uh, the rule of life that uh, Methodist clergy have developed, and trying to hold very closely to the things that are in that rule of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and to try to let go of those things that are not. Um, and to kind of ask myself, is this, is this thing that I'm tempted to do? Um, it may well be good. Um, does it have anything to do with uh, being a, a student and preacher of the word, a steward of the sacrament, um, someone who orders the life of the church or leads the church in service to the world? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, or if that's a pretty loose connection, it might need to go. Mm. Um, and so one of the things for me that has been, uh, I think a practice of giving up has been um, finances. Mm. And that that is something my congregation has good leadership in. I have a, a treasurer who is quite diligent and finance chairs who are, are faithful. And I've not really given much time to it. Mm. Uh, and just to say, yep, that is certainly ordering, the, uh, you know, that's certainly part of ordering the life of the church is kind of our, our common financial resources, uh, but we've equip, equipped and empowered uh, lay folks to do that well, mm-hmm. and I zoomed into a finance committee meeting and they told me everything was okay, and
0: I took their word for it. Yeah. Great. So out of that, um, what is some advice, some wisdom you would offer to other pastors and congregation members in general about mm-hmm. what to do in this time, how to be faithful and healthy? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, as I said, I have to get on my soapbox a little bit. Mm-hmm. That if uh, if you worship on Zoom or on some kind of equivalent platform please find a way for folks to connect by phone if at all possible.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: again, Zoom will let you do this. And if uh, if my 97-year-old prisoner can come every Sunday, and in fact, this last Sunday she called me uh, about an hour before church started because she wanted to make sure that she was going to participate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, for, for the love of God and the people of God, find a way to do it on the phone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's my, my soapbox there. I'm sitting here looking out a window and thinking about what one of my mentors in ministry did when I was a, a student. And I once saw her in her office working on working on the sermon. And she kind of, after a couple hours of doing that, and I knew that she was trying to get it finished before kind of some other important things. And after a couple hours work, I noticed that she just kind of got up and left the office and was gone for about 25 minutes. And mm-hmm. it was just kind of unlike her to just get up and leave. I had work to do, so I just continued. And she eventually came back and sat back down and you know got to work. And later I asked her, "So, you, know, you disappeared for half an hour. What was that about?" Uh, and she said that she, she said something to the effect of God and the work of God that is not something that you can force Mm -hmm. and for her getting up and taking a walk outside was a practice of not trying to force a sermon not trying to force a word and i think that that invitation for us to kind of stop what we are doing stop a to stop i think what can be a pretty destructive drive to always be doing more, to always feeling like we're never doing enough, and to go outside and to enjoy the good gift of God's creation, hmm. I think is a, a practice that I try to keep for myself and would commend to others.
0: Yeah, yeah that's great. Uh, so I guess finally, where can people go if they want to learn more about you, the congregations, all that good stuff?
1: Sure. So they can go to, for information about the church, they can go to hopkinsumchurch.org. And you can find information there about uh, joining our Zoom meetings. It is a little bit um, obfuscated to kind of keep out uh, any potential Zoom bombers. uh, But you can find it. You can also find ways to contact me on there. Uh, personally, you can head to uh, REV, so revandrewphillips.org, my own little landing page. And particularly if there's anyone out there who would like to talk about using the phone, <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking about what the title of this podcast episode is going to be. And it's... Um, <laughs> I'll leave it to your good judgment, but in my mind, it's like, will this guy shut up talking about the phone? Um, But if anyone wants to talk about that, I would love to. uh, And it is something that actually, as I'm preparing to go to a new congregation, which is not kind of doing, they're kind of pre-recording a service and putting it online, which Mm is great. I them about this little phone experiment on Zoom I've been doing, and they said, oh, you know what? We might really need that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm an evangelist for the for the use of the phone in these times, and that comes from someone who doesn't really like talking on the phone all <laughs> that much, uh, so. Great. Okay. Thank
0: you so much for joining us. Oh, you're most welcome. was a lot of fun. Great. It for today. Thanks for listening. And just so you know, Zoom is not an official sponsor of this podcast. Though, if they wanted to be, I wouldn't object. Anyways, Andrew provided some places to learn more about the churches and also his own website to learn more about him. To keep up with everything on pastoring in a pandemic, you can follow us on Twitter at pastor in Pandemic. That's pastor, the letter N, pandemic. You can follow me at Nathan Longfield. Please follow, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, and you can listen on there, our website, and any other podcast platform. Please join us again next time as we talk to Jay Keel, Children, Youth, and Family Minister at St. Luke's Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin, to see how he is pastoring in a pandemic. Grace and peace.